Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Professor Hui Deng, who is Professor of Physics at the University of Michigan. Her research centers on the discovery, creation, control, and applications of quantum states in single few and many body systems with matter-light couplings. Welcome, Hui. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I want to start with, uh, you have a, a few papers, recent papers. I want to start with one of them, uh, Van der Waals heterostructure polariterns with more induced nonlinearity, in which you say controlling matter-light interactions with cavities is of fundamental importance in modern science and technology. This is exemplified in the strong coupling regime where matter-light hybrid modes form with properties that are controllable by optical wavelength photons. Um, when you say matter-light hybrid modes, um, that is uh, that is a new phenomenon, is it? Uh, yes, that's a very interesting. That's a very interesting phenomenon, indeed. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so, so, can you give some context around um, how that happens? And I know that you have some experiments uh, at Michigan. Uh, so, could you could you set the context for? Uh, maybe go back a, a few years. When did we first discover this phenomenon? So um, these are hybrid modes, which we call polaritons. Yeah. The, um, this trace back to um, a century, even many many decades. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it itself is not is is actually quite a general thing. Yeah. Um, right. So um, it it can be in all kinds of different systems. So in general, when you have a, a um, electromagnetic waves that couple very strongly to uh, matter excitation or excitations in matter, typically involving some form of uh, electronic um, motion, yeah. then yeah. you can form polaritons. Okay. So, uh, right. so polariton itself is actually a very general phenomenon. It, it exists in metal, in solids, in insulator, in semiconductor, 
in all in atom atomic gases as well in all kinds of forms. Okay, but but when you say hybrid modes, um, so 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 uh, what exactly is a polyneutron? Is it is it a right. is it a photon or is it something different? It's a hybrid. <laughs> so um, the condition to form polariton is uh, the strong coupling is strong is strong enough. The coupling is strong enough, and what that means is that uh, um, it has to be a type of excitation that can couple to the electromagnetic field. Yeah. Um, for example, the electromagnetic field, or let's just call just to say light, can create can excite this. Uh, um, excitation in the matter system. It could be oscillating electrons. And in our case, in semiconductors, it is a, a electron and a whole pair in the semiconductor, mm -hmm. which we call excitons. Um, then the exciton, so in quantum mechanics, everything is uh, reversible at the microscopic level. Yes. So yeah. they can, light can be absorbed by the latter, matter to create excitation. Then the excitation can return the energy back into the um, fields mm. or to send it back into as a photon or as light. And so typically the interaction is uh, um, not strong enough. So this process that you absorb a photon or absorb light and then re-emit light um, is to, can be considered as two distinct process. There is a decoherence, et cetera, that happens in between. And the light that comes out later does not have memory of the light that come, came in earlier. <laughs> so that's that's the weak coupling regime that uh, most of the time we deal with in our daily life on um, systems that interact with light. Yeah. So in the laboratory, we can get to what we call the strong coupling regime. That yeah. is when um, in the way you can think of this uh, absorption and the re-emission process becomes very fast when the coupling between the excitation and the light becomes very strong. And it becomes um, faster or stronger compared to other decay or decoherence processes or processes that to destroy the memory or destroy the what we call quantum coherence. And in, when you go to that limit, then when when you send some energy into your system, you don't really know if you have a, it in the form of light or in the form of this electronic oscillation. Mm. And in fact, what it is, is indeed it exists as a, in both. And that's why we call it a hybrid, matter and light hybrid. Yeah. If I understand it at a very high level, so um, light, interacting with some sort of a matter substrate, uh, maybe a semiconductor or something like that. And light uh, is exciting um, exciting matter in, in that substrate. And, and that excitation uh, can have a lot of different features. Um, and so if you, if you sort of if I understand this correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, some sort of synchronization, light goes in, excites the matter substrate, and that excitation then in turn can produce light. And so you can sort of go back and forth between those two things, right? Exactly. 
and so 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 a lot of uh, lot of quantum related uh, interesting things that happen uh, when one of them is uh, if i understand it correctly one of them is this entanglement and and so that the photon that is going in um essentially gets entangled with that uh, with that matter substrate um that's a very good question um <laughs> it, it can be sort of as a, a form of entanglement yeah um um, it it sort of depends on what you want to use the entanglement for. Yeah. Um, for example, if one is interested in using entanglement for quantum information, then we need to ask a question how we can verify the entanglement and uh, um, put it into a form into certain quantum algorithms or protocols. And in general, um, it's an extremely difficult problem if you have a many body entanglement even how to quantify this formal entanglement is still an, in general, open question. Yeah, so, so you mentioned um, sort of the, the light um, memory. So a photon going in uh, and creating an a, a excitation in the matter substrate that subsequently leaves a photon back. And those two photons going in and coming out uh, have some sort of some sort of memory. Um, the don't so the the um, so the memory may not be a very um, rigorous way of uh, um, describing it. Yeah. Um, so the well, the memory I think I referred to was uh, was. Be within this polariton system. Um, okay. So once the energy is sent into the system, it could, it, um, if we make a classical analog, we could think of an energy, we can think of the energy goes in between the, the matter excitation and the photon and the back and the forth. And in this process, they sort of keep the, keep the phase information or the correlation um, phase correlation at yeah. different times, the different positions. And in that sense, it has the memory of, uh, of the, between the matter system and the photon field. And when, when this energy eventually comes out of the system again, if it is a through a spontaneous process or spontaneous emission, and that photon comes out is a, a different photon or different light than the one that initially came in. But within the polariton system, this uh, strong coupling leads to um, this coherent um, coexistence of the matter excitation and the light. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I, I guess uh, we can also make an analogy to uncoupled harmonic oscillators in the yeah. way that uh, that is really a, a mathematical model for the system. If we have a, if we have a, a spring, with a mass attached to it, it will oscillate at a certain yeah. characteristic frequency. Um, the jargon is eigenfrequency. So you, you can have another harmonic spring and will oscillate also at its eigenfrequency or its characteristic frequency. And they are, they, they are two separate oscillators. Now you can add another spring to connect these two and that's basically providing coupling between these 
two initial uncoupled springs. Then, okay. then when that spring is um, sufficiently strong, then when you try to make one of the oscillators, the springs to oscillate, it will affect the other one. And it can no longer oscillate at its original eigenfrequency. Instead, the two will oscillate together with a new characteristic frequency. And you can think of these two oscillators. One is our matter excitation, one is our light. Now the coupling is strong enough, they start to oscillate together and in the new form with a new frequency. So, so this phase correlations that you talked about. So um, clearly comp computation, computing with light is a lot more elegant, a lot faster. So will this um, move into, um, will it have some effects on quantum computing and other type of things? Um, right, so coherence is a very essential to quantum computing or quantum information science. And yeah. the grand challenge is how to harness it and uh, control it. So there are, there are a lot of uh, um, effort and ideas of uh, using polaritonic system to do that. Hmm. And the, the, the reason or the rationale is uh, it is a, a metalite hybrid system. So it has the advantage of both. It has the advantage of a um, light system, which is that pure light doesn't interact and have uh, extremely good coherence properties. So it still inherits some of that, even in the hybrid form. Well, pure matter give you interactions because they do interact. And that's what you need for information processing. So yeah. when used in the right way, you may be able to combine the advantage of light and matter with the hybrid system. Yeah, and if a system, so uh, since it's a macroscopic system, it might also allow us to test some of the quantum questions on this. Um, in other words, um, yeah, we, we don't see quantum effects in macroscopic systems typically, right? So this one, it, it is sort of, it's a macroscopic system, isn't it? Um, you have matter involved. Uh, so, so just take me back to the experiment um, that that you ran. So, how exactly would you produce this in the lab? Mm. So, we typically use a piece of a semiconductor as our matter system. Uh, well, very much look like a chip, like the tiny chips in our phone or in our computer. Um, yeah. Then we would uh, mount it some. And uh, okay, to create to create the polariton system, we basically have to make the interaction between the excit electronic excitation and the light to be strong enough. And to do that, we take a, a typical semiconductor, but uh, put it inside a um, cavity, and mm -hmm. which is basically what strongly confines the light field and amplifies the local field intensity at yeah, the yeah. position where we put our matter excitation. And that's sort of how we construct the system. Yeah, and so, so, so what's the scale we are talking about? Um, you know, uh, for, for that cavity and the matter involved, 
in the system? What, what is what is sort of the the scale? Right. So the the device can be in principle any size. Um, the if if we're talking about the size of the quasi particles, uh, like if we talk compared to, for example, size of an electron or atom in that sense, that typically refers to the size of the quantum mechanical wave function. And so for polariton, the, the so the wave function depends on the potential confinement. So for for electron in vacuum, for example. It actually has the infinite size if there's nothing else to interact with because it should have a plane wave um, wave function, which means it extends the whole space. Um, so there is another size, which is um, in, in the sense we can call it a coherence length. If you take the wave function at one point and take, a, take it at a different point to see whether or not they're always phase correlated. For example, you can do an interference or Young's double slit experiment. Um, yeah. That coherence length of that wave function uh, would be very short for matter system, but for the pluritons, that is largely determined by the coherence length of the light part, and that's typically on the micron scale. A few deep, um, that then it depends on how good a cavity we can make. So it is typically a few microns to um, even up to hundreds of microns. So um, I don't know a lot about this, way, so I'm just asking this question. So the, it, it, going back to the double slit experiment uh, and you know the, the waveform collapse, the Copenhagen um, interpretation, uh, is, are there things that we could test with this system? So I think a lot of things have already been tested. <laughs> the quantum mechanics is very mature. So if we go back a hundred years and uh, then there are many open questions in quantum mechanics in terms of how to interpret, if you could see matter wave interference and uh, which was done with uh, electrons. That's one of the, called one of the most beautiful experiments in physics. And uh, the polariton system certainly, if, if people knew how to make it and how to study it, would have made such experiments much easier to do. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, but then um, a large number of those foundational experiments have already been um, performed to, to understand and verify quantum mechanics. And I would, I would uh, think the real advantage of the polariton system is for um, to actually make use of this quantum phenomenon um, rather than testing the unknown realms of uh, quantum mechanics itself. And that that uh, is probably best uh, suited by um, precision measurements. Okay, okay. Um, so, so in another paper, you, you talk about the polariton laser. Um, so this is a microcavity exciton polariton that you talked about. So microcavity exciton polariton systems can have a wide range of macroscopic quantum effects, you say, that may be turned into better photonic technologies. And one of them is a laser? Right. Uh, 
So, 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 what what is uh, special about this laser? Right. So, laser is uh, um, of course almost ubiquitous. So, it's uh, uh, one of the most important technologies nowadays, and uh, it is used more and more in information technology. So, there is a lot of interest to reduce the power consumption of those lasers and create uh, nano lasers, micro lasers, and so what's special about the polariton laser is that it, um, it gives a laser-like emission through a very different mechanism compared to conventional lasers that would enable it to give out such emission at a, at a required minimum energy input that is much, much lower than required for conventional lasers. So, so required energy much lower. So does that also imply that you can create more powerful lasers? Um, that's a great question. So the it, it does not imply more powerful lasers directly. And you it it reduces the minimum energy input. So you could uh, perform tasks that require coherent light at a much lower um with at a much energy lower energy input. And to get more powerful lasers, um, then we have to see how well the system can scale up. And there are, there are ways polariton may help because it has a stronger uh, nonlinearity compared to normal semiconductor lasers. And more, also have more control over their property because of this strongly hybrid nature of the quasi-particles. Um, but how to implement that will depend on the system details. Yeah, for a normal, um, the hybrid nature is, is really, really perplexing. Uh, so, so this this hybrid thing, photon matter thing. Um, it, it should have some very interesting properties, right? <laughs> how, how do you explain that? Mm. You, uh, you mean how to understand how this... Uh, uh, how to understand. So when you say hybrid, you mean sort of the, the exciton and photon um, thing together, oh, right? Right. Okay. And so... Um, and so it's not a it's not an entity by itself. It's really a, a process by which a photon is interacting with uh, with the substrate. In the, uh, in the way you yeah. could think of as think of it as a quantity itself. So um, hmm. in so in physics we talk a lot about uh, quasi particles, not uh, real particles, uh, like the electron in the sol in the solid. They are not uh, real electrons anymore. They are they, they are, we still call them electron, but uh, they have a different effective mass, for example, compared to a real electron in vacuum. And they, the even for um, in the even in metal, where the electron can be considered almost we call it a free electron gas and has the electron charge and moves with the electric field, etc. Um, but they still feel 
what is happening in the lattice, the underlying lattice, and that gives them a different mass compared to electron in vacuum. So even the simple electron in the metal is already um, a quasi-particle in the solid state, in the solid. So the polariton is just another kind of quasi-particle. It is uh, considered as a particle in the sense that uh, you could measure its effective mass, you could measure its charge, which is zero. You can, you can model it as a particle in your, in your equations, in your Hamiltonian, and with a mass, with the interactions, and uh, with, a, with a certain lifetime, how long it lives before it leaks out, etc. Um, so we call those eigenmodes of the system. That's why they are good quasi-particles of the system. So it, it, it is becoming an entity of itself. Yes, it's a, as you say, a quasi-particle uh, with some fundamental properties you can measure, like charge equal to zero, uh, small mass. Um, will it have uh, some limit on speed? It, it cannot uh, have a speed of velocity of uh, light. Right? Uh, right, right. So yes. So there is there is a, the speed you're referring to. Are probably the um, group velocity, basically how fast the information can actually um, move or get transferred, and that can never go faster than speed of light. Otherwise, we may violate causality. And that that is true. Only light in vacuum or zero mass particles in vacuum can go at the speed of light. And this polariton certainly cannot go at the speed of light. You um you take the you take the effect mass or more precisely you take the how the energy, kinetic energy changes with the momentum and uh, take the derivative that gives the group velocity. And just very approximately, um, how much less would the sort of the limit, speed limit on the polariton? It, uh, in principle, you could change the, you could sort of control the optical mode to make a polariton that go very close to, to the speed of light. Mm. Um, in common types of uh, systems, we typically have the group velocity of maybe about 10% of the speed of light. Yeah, uh, because if, if, if it is uh, potentially have some practical applications in computing, then uh, the, the speed um, becomes important. And I think the, the low energy lasers you talked about, would they would they have a direct application in com computing as well? Uh, yes. So the laser actually have been used a lot in computing already. Um, they, they are, and they have been, there are very active research on optical computing architectures that will also rely on laser a lot. So the laser would be used to, to generate the signal and one can also modulate the laser as a way to way to modulate the signal. And then optical interconnects would also benefit using coherent light. Yeah. yeah. 
end, uh, purely from a practical perspective, uh, you observe this phenomenon in very low temperatures, right? And that's right. In the papers I sent you, we observe it at uh, low temperatures um, be be because, because we want to sort of uh, have the clean the system and understand the physics from the most essential part first before we add the complications. Um, yeah. Yes. So a lot of the work on, on such as polaritons and polariton lasers were initially done in materials that uh, polaritons can only survive at very low temperatures. Um, the exciting thing about a more recent development in material science is there are materials that uh, do support very strong um, exciton and, and uh, excitation the light interaction to give very robust polariton modes even at uh, high temperatures, room temperature, even higher. And certainly it's a hope that uh, we can we can eventually be able to do all the interesting things with the polaritons at the room temperature. Yeah, like superconductivity. Um, uh, you, you observe the phenomenon at low temperature, but over time you can you can move that up to, but, but you, you're saying there are materials already at room temperature that could, potentially be used. Yeah. Yes, yes. And in the in the paper, the Fenderwaltz material polaritons, the Fenderwaltz materials is the type of material that uh, support polaritons at room temperature or higher. Um, then, then the challenge is improve their quality and uh, figure out how to control the phonon bus, uh, interactions of the phonon bus with the polariton systems. And then, then gradually you will be able to keep the coherent phenomena we want to make use of to survive at higher temperatures. Right, right. I, I want to go into um, another paper you have, emergence of microfrequency combination via limit cycles and dissipatively coupled condensates. Um, you say self-sustained oscillations, limit cycles are a fundamental phenomenon unique to nonlinear dynamic systems of high dimensional phase space. They enable understanding of a wide range of cyclic processes in natural, social, and engineering systems. Um, could you talk a bit about that? Uh, I'm intrigued by natural, social, and engineering <laughs> systems. <laughs> right. So um, limit cycle is a phenomenon in nonlinear dynamic systems. And so yeah. um, it, uh, it, is, it is a very basic phenomenon in nonlinear dynamic systems. And that's why it is, uh, it is uh, uh, underlines a very broad range of phenomena. In natural systems, uh, what some of the first examples people begin to study in this context is the uh, um, predator and the prey cycle. And there is a certain yeah. certain feedback, and it and it's not a linear feedback, and that leads to this type of a cycle. There, there's no, um, like, um, there, there's there's no initially there's no obvious parameter that's already there to set, for example, um, the period of such a cycle, or where the equilibrium is reached at. And that that is that is established simultaneously through this nonlinear dynamical process. Um, 
So in engineering systems, for example, we sometimes hear uh, whirring of uh, wires, and that that is mm. one of the classical um, phenomenon coming out from the limit cycle, which is uh, suddenly it starts to vibrate as a, a certain certain frequency that was not otherwise it's uh, it's other not its eigenfrequency otherwise, but it comes out through the nonlinear dynamic uh, interactions. Yeah. And and what what's the what's the social system that you're talking about? Um, the social system, I think, uh, the, um, some example include included um, spread of the disease. Actually, <laughs> really, like like in in the pandemic, how the disease started to um, start to spread and how widely it is spread, and what's the time frame. Yeah. Of the of the of the um, spread and the cure, this type of cycle. Hmm. And so, so the mathematics you're saying underlying this is it is prevalent. It, it's prevalent in different right. systems, right? And so, um, so, so how does it connect with the polariton cavities? Right. So in the polariton cavities, we basically have nonlinearities in the polaritons. Um, then yeah. th 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 that's why we can model it as a nonlinear dynamic system. And uh, um, so the, given a nonlinear dynamic system, whether or not the limit cycle is a solution, is also an extremely difficult question in mathematics. It does not have a general answer yet. That's one of the millennial meaning dollar questions that's being posted. We, we know the solution exists for certain types of nonlinear dynamic systems, but we don't have a general answer. So, and, and those are also, nonlinear dynamic systems are also in general very sensitive to the conditions. Um, initial condition the yeah. system parameters. And so generally speaking, it is quite difficult to um, create and control such a system in slightly more complex settings. They, they, are, they very commonly appear and underlie a wide range of phenomena, but if you want to um, artificially create and control one, actually can be quite challenging. And uh, um, to understand the phenomenon quantitatively and understand whether or not it results from that is also challenging. So, um, so it just uh, happened that we found that uh, this uh, polariton, polariton system with a nonlinearity and with its uh, dissipation building and in a coupled polariton cavities, basically two polariton cavities coupled together there was actually a simple um, set of equations and you can solve it. And it uh, um, turns out there is a very rich phase diagram, including a part of the phase diagram where you can satisfy the condition for the limit cycle. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I don't know if you see it this way, but um, engineering is advancing so fast that you're able to actually experimentally show things 
that are that are not really sort of theoretically and mathematically uh, laid down on paper. Uh, do, do you think that is that is sort of what's happening in high energy physics today? Um, yeah, high energy physics is a, is a little, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that it might actually be the other way around. Theory is much more ahead of yeah. uh, experiment in high energy physics. Yeah, yeah. But but this one, since you are seeking sort of a solution, a mathematical solution for this, um, it, it seems like um, if, if you find that you have predictability, you have a better qualitative understanding of the system, uh, but you already uh, sort of de demonstrated that uh, it, it is working. Right, so the, that's an excellent question. And the, the nature of uh, the research in of a solid state systems is a, is sort of like that. You have a theory that predicts things, and yeah. but the theory is always yeah. a model because solids are complicated, right? Even a tiny piece of solids have ten to thirty atoms, ten to twenty three atoms, and so on. So um, you can't track them perfectly. You can't have a complete initial equation and solve it to find out what is going on. So it's always a modeling. And uh, until you see it in experiment, you never know if your model captured the most important um, factors or missed some of the essential physics. So, yeah. so the theory will predict yeah. a lot of things and that give a lot of guide to the experiment, what to look for and what, what, some, what may be something interesting that could happen when we do this and that. Um, then at the same time, you try that, you do it in experiments and you will see a set of phenomena. Some of them may be predicted by theory and some of them may catch you by surprise. And that's sort of what happened in the lab when we saw those microfrequency combs or these additional frequencies appearing. We did not really expect it. We did not know what they are. But uh, just happened in this particular case when we looked back into the literature, we find a theory and realized, oh, th that, that is what is happening. Yeah, and, and it is, um, it's such a fascinating area because it's, um, you know, sort of quantum effects in macro systems. And um, because there are, there are, there's a lot that could be learned through this behavior it not only has practical applications, but also uh, potentially, um, uh, you know, uh, improvements to our understanding of quantum. Yeah, science. we certainly hope we can make some progress on those fronts. Yeah. And so in conclusion, Hui, so uh, I know that you're doing a lot of work in this area. So if you, if you look forward five years, 10 years, um, from a practical perspective, where do you think this type of uh, this type of technology could move into? I think it could move into um, novel photonic devices that can have uh, either has a performance that cannot uh, um, be reached by existing known architectures of uh, photonic devices or even could have functions yeah. that's uh, not realized in today's devices. Yeah. So, uh, and these devices are largely in the in the area of computing, or 
uh, other devices uh, as well. As well as in possibly imaging and the sensing. Oh. Okay, okay. Excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Huli. Oh, Thanks so pleasure. much for spending time Thank with you. This is a Scientific Sense podcast providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com.